This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. North Korea is known for being the most isolated country in the world. So how is it that they make their money? If their trade is minimal, then how does Kim Jong-un afford such a supremely luxurious lifestyle? He supposedly built himself a $35 million ski resort, a $100 million amusement park, and he has his own expensive collection of thoroughbred horses. How is it that the higher ups reek of wealth with all the sanctions imposed upon the hermit country? And how many lives has this dictator ruined to keep himself in the lap of luxury? Pyongyang has been ratcheting up tensions on the peninsula in recent weeks, testing several types of ballistic missiles. She's searching for the right answer. With our army and the leadership of Marshal Kim Jong-un, she says, we can conquer any. We will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket, rocket man. And weapons of mass destruction. Axis of evil. Hello everyone, welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati and today we're going to be talking about North Korea. There are a lot of things that can be said about this country, but we're just going to focus on the corporate casket side of things. We're gonna be taking a look at how they make their money, where it all comes and goes from, and the shady financial deals behind North Korea as a whole. So let's get into it. Every year, people are shipped off from their family and friends to go to work in horrific conditions in another country. The true kicker, most of the money they make goes back to paying North Korea's bills. In North Korea, labor exploitation and exportation, or what basically amounts to slave labor, has become commonplace and impacts thousands of families. For some people, they go into this rotten deal with the expectation that they would be making more money than they could have ever imagined working in different countries. But unfortunately, that's never the way it seems to turn out. The New York Times features a story from one of the people who experienced labor exploitation from North Korea in 1996. At first, the carpenter saw it as an opportunity to make money for his family and get out from the watchful eye of the North Korean government with the extremely rare chance to leave the country. He was originally promised $120 a month, which may not seem like a lot at first glance, but it was considered an unimaginable wage for most workers in his famine-stricken country. Unfortunately, when he found himself in Kuwait to start working, it was vastly different than what he expected. He and the other 1,800 people from North Korea were consistently monitored by North Korean supervisors. They worked over 12 hours a day, every day of the week at various construction sites. Mr. Rim told reporters in a news conference about his experience saying, "'We only took a Friday afternoon off twice a month, but had to spend the time studying books or watching videos about the greatness of our leader back home. We were never paid our wages. And when we asked our superiors about them, they said we should think of starving people back home and thank the leader for giving us this opportunity of eating three meals a day. But they were right that most people back in North Korea were starving. See, in the 1990s, North Korea was experiencing one of their most disastrous famines that ended up costing the lives of an estimated 2.5 to 3.5 million people. And to clarify, the North Korean government likes to consistently insist to the world that the numbers were much lower than that, around 200,000. The government has hidden the famine from the world for multiple years, but in the late 1990s, the word spread and debunked the myths of North Korean superiority and self-reliance. 
So with so many people starving and desperate for any type of money or food, it's no wonder that people would sign up to go work in other countries. Still, they did so under the expectation that their money would go back to them and not back to the government. Unfortunately, as time has gone on, the state's use of forced exported labor has only gotten worse. According to the UN, people sent to other countries worked as long as 20 hours a day without enough food and water under constant surveillance. The jobs they receive are often determined by their social class. People considered high class get safer jobs, while those considered lower class are first to work more dangerous jobs, often in construction or unmonitored factories. Some workers told investigators and activists after they escaped that they had faced threats of government reprisals against them or their relatives in North Korea if they attempt to escape or complain to outside parties. Additionally, a group of North Korean citizens working in Kuwait were instructed by the North Korean Workers' Party to send $500,000 a month back to North Korea. I don't know how big that group is, but 500,000 a month is an astronomical amount of money. Now, as you may expect, it was more than the group of the workers' salaries combined. But it gets worse because it, it always has to. Multiple people told the group North Korea Watch that they were often forced to take additional jobs in the foreign companies and give half of their earnings from those jobs back to the North Korean government as bribes in return for allowing them such opportunities. While many of these people worked side by side with local workers, they were often paid pennies on the dollar in comparison. Then when you factor in the fact that they were sending most, if not all of that money back to North Korea, they were basically making nothing. So while the North Korean government loves to defend these programs by saying that these people are paid, it's not entirely true. In 2012, an activist group in Seoul, South Korea called the North Korea Strategy Center found that roughly 60,000 to 65,000 North Koreans were working in more than 40 countries, providing the state with 150 million to 230 million a year. Then in 2014, the UN reported that the situation had gotten even worse and the number of people who were victims of forced labor exportation had grown. So why is this? Why does this continue to happen and get even worse? Well, there can be a couple of reasons at play here. For one, the leader Kim Jong-un has vastly expanded the program from what it was in the 1990s. Some speculate it's that so he can afford to pay for a plethora of luxury items, including his armored Mercedes-Benz. Others say that selling forced labor to other countries was a sign of North Korea's really tight financial and economic situation. Personally, I think it's probably a bit of both. Still, it's really no secret that North Korea has experienced financial difficulties over the years, especially considering the sanctions that have been put on them from a variety of countries. In 2015, North Korea's GDP was around $40 billion, while for comparison, South Korea's GDP was around $1 trillion. The North Korean economy has been struggling since the early 2000s when they decided to withdraw from the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. Citing US aggressions, the country pulled out of the international agreement to denuclearize, which they had signed in the 1980s. The sanctions imposed on the country came shortly after its first nuclear test in 2006. The same year, shortly after the test, the UN Security Council passed Resolution 1718, which placed sanctions on the supply of heavy weaponry, missile technology, and material and select luxury goods to the country. After Kim Jong-un came to power, the sanctions on North Korea continued to get more strict, banning them from agricultural imports and exports, oils, metals, and more. As the sanctions kept growing, the use of exported labor grew right along with them. In an attempt to solve this problem, the UN passed resolution 2397, which required that all North Korean workers be sent back to North Korea by 2019. And as you might guess, that didn't exactly happen. In fact, in 2020, the US Treasury Department put even more sanctions on North Korea after they found that the laborers were still working overseas in Russia. Exported labor isn't the only unethical labor practice perpetuated by the North Korean government though. Forced labor within the country itself has become a huge aspect of their country. 
The Global Slavery Index completed by the Walk Free Foundation found that one in 10 people in North Korea are forced into forms of slavery. And let me say that again, one out of every 10 people. According to the foundation, Kim Jong-un utilizes multiple types of forced labor to enslave his citizens, including debt labor, prison labor, and forced marriages. People who had escaped North Korea told the foundation that children and adults were forced to work unpaid through communal labor in agriculture or construction. And I just wanna drive this point home just a little bit more. One in 10 people is a lot of people. For example, in the United States, that would be about 30 million people. In North Korea, that's about 2.5 million people. Most people I know have 10 friends or 10 people in their families. Imagine if one or more of those people were victims of forced labor. Imagine how much that impacts the lives of not only the victims themselves, but their friends and family too. It's absolutely disgusting and undeniably heartbreaking that this is going on and has been for literal decades. Not only were they unpaid, but their working conditions were absolutely brutal. People reported that adults were required to work between 70 to 100 days with no breaks. If they refused to work for any reason, even if they were hurt or sick, they could face punishment or decreased food rations. One defector told the Walk Free Foundation, if you are absent without an excuse, you are detained in a labor training camp. Much like those that are shipped off to other countries, people working within the country see a vast majority of their wages ripped from under them and sent back to the government. They also, because North Koreans aren't allowed to vote really or anything, they have no ability to decide what that money will be used for. One woman said, I did not receive compensation. From my workplace, they were taking money to support shock brigades. And as a result of deducting such an amount from our salaries, we did not receive any money. And again, just to clarify here, this woman had an actual paying job, but the government took her salary from her paying job to pay for forced labor. So as it turns out, she also now became a victim of unpaid labor and her salary was paying the bill for the government to make even more people victims of unpaid labor. It's, it's an insanely vicious cycle. North Korea is considered to be the pinnacle of modern day slave labor and activists have continually tried to put pressure on international governments to actively and adamantly put pressure on Kim Jong-un to end the practice. Andrew Forrest, the founder of the Walk Free Foundation said, the implementation of mass forced labor programs and the sheer scale of modern slavery within North Korea is the regime's biggest crime. Internationally, both in the US and Europe and beyond, we need to put this issue front and center of all discussions with Kim Jong-un and demand immediate freedom as part of any diplomacy or cooperation with North Korea. So you might be wondering, hey, if North Korea can't export any goods because of the sanctions, what the heck is the point of all the forced labor in the first place? Well, some people argue that North Korea partakes in forced labor in an attempt to keep its population down. I guess the thinking was if people are being forced to work 100 days straight and you know, then they don't have time to you know, do what needs to be done to grow a population. While that may be partially to blame, it's also important to remember that while there may be sanctions on the country, those are really, really hard to enforce. As it stands today, North Korea is still making and selling items to other countries. They also participate in other backdoor business dealings in an attempt to make money. And the use of forced labor is prevalent in all of them. News this morning closer to home and the US is calling for tougher UN sanctions on North Korea. Actually, this is from overseas as well. They say sanction. Well, that's a pretty weak, Statement. I'll be signing an executive order imposing hard-hitting sanctions. Remember how I said sanctions were really hard to enforce? Well, they are, seriously. One of the most overwhelming and strict sanctions on North Korea is the arms embargo. In other words, they aren't supposed to be importing or exporting any weapons, but of course, they still do. In 2013, a North Korean ship was discovered to be carrying 240 tons of weapons from Cuba. 
All of these different weapons were stashed right under tons and tons of sugar and seized in the Panama Canal. Now, Cuba claimed that the weaponry was being shipped to North Korea for repair, but I mean, they hid all the weapons under a bunch of sugar, so I'm not entirely sure how much of that I believe. Still, a Cuban statement said that they were committed to peace disarmament, including nuclear disarmament and respect for international law. Regardless of what they said, they were still smuggling weapons. When the ship was stopped and the 35 crew member apparently resisted the search, the captain even attempted suicide. That doesn't exactly scream, we're not doing anything wrong to me, but what do I know? The same type of thing happened yet again in 2016 when a supposed Cambodian ship was stopped only to be found that its captain and crew were all North Korean. And that doesn't seem suspicious at all, right? According to the UN, the ship was carrying 30,000 rocket propelled grenades. They were hidden under iron ore, which by the way is also banned and were labeled as assembly parts for underwater pumps. The UN has reported that North Korea has developed shell companies to try and hide their arms dealings and clearly they're still participating in it despite the sanctions. For most countries and companies, doing business with North Korea is quote, too risky, but not for all of them. Paul Tija, who's founded a Dutch IT consultancy, does business with North Korea and runs trade missions. He told the BBC that everyone wants to do international business and he saw his business dealings with North Korea as a way to boost North Korea's economy. And I mean, that would be great, but it seems like none of the money actually goes back to actual people in that country. So it makes it a little less great. For the time being, North Korea does about 90% of its business with China, exporting coal, seafood, and textiles. This business arrangement is so beneficial for North Korea that even Donald Trump pressured China to impose stricter sanctions on their foreign trade. Considering China is also participating in unethical forced labor and has recently faced some sanctions for it themselves, I don't really anticipate them changing. The country also does its business by hiding behind imports and exports from other countries. In 2019, for example, it was discovered that the company Enermax in South Korea was under investigation for alleged sanctions violations. According to the report, they were the final recipient of coal that had been transferred from a North Korean ship to a Russian ship. Originally, Enermax had told the UN panel that they had signed a contract worth roughly $3 million with Hong Kong, which had been brokered by someone in Indonesia. But apparently that was just a lie. Enermax claimed that the deal with Indonesia had actually fallen through and they now thought that the coal had been coming from Russia. However, as we know now, it wasn't. Now, it is entirely possible that the company just straight up didn't know where the coal was coming from and it might not be all their fault. However, that also doesn't really excuse them in my opinion. I feel like if you're participating in trade with multiple countries that have sanctions on them, you should be extra careful to ensure the product you're buying isn't coming from one of those sanctioned countries like, I don't know, North Korea. As always, and unfortunately, there's more. And of course, it's going to get worse from here. So before we continue to take a look at more of this downward spiral into how North Korea makes its money, I'm gonna go ahead and place the sponsor for today's episode here, just cause there's, there's no other good place to put it going forward. I promise you, I would have put it closer to the end if I could, but it's not getting better. So with that being said, here's an ad break, and then we will return to start talking about Macau. If you're anything like me, planning is an absolute necessity just to make it through the day. And when I'm saying planning, I'm planning everything. Everything's written down on whiteboards. I know what I'm doing, what I'm eating, and I know probably weeks in advance. That's why I really love HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers fresh pre-portioned ingredients to your door every single week, or if you don't wanna do every single week, they can do it whenever it works for your schedule, which is great for someone like me. 
You can pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options and skip weeks when you need to, change your delivery date or update your preferences all within the HelloFresh app, which is seriously the easiest thing in the world to use. And HelloFresh's chefs really know how to diversify the menu with seasonal recipes like salmon limon and pasta primavera. And HelloFresh even has fit and wholesome recipes for satisfying and nutritious meals that you can feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, including low calorie and carb conscious options too. So make sure you go to hellofresh.com casket16 and use code casket16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's hellofresh.com casket16 and use code casket16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Today's episode is also sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. I love being able to shop online while in my PJs, but I'm terrible at keeping track of promo codes and who has time for that? But now I have Honey to help find those precious money-saving codes for me. Honey is the free shopping tool that searches the internet for promo codes and applies the best ones to your cart. Now, recently I've been reducing how much I've been buying online. I've been really trying to hold back and just kind of keep it local a little bit. I don't know, I'm just trying a new thing for right now. It's a new year's resolution. It's probably gonna fail, but I'm trying anyway. But I've used Honey to help purchase furniture for the house when I needed a new rug from a furniture store. It's even helped me buy some supplies for the candle making business and of course clothing. So they're literally everywhere. And now Honey just doesn't work on your desktop alone. It also works on your iPhone. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on amazing savings. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. And I'd never recommend something I don't use. And I've been using Honey for years. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com casket. That's joinhoney.com casket. The leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, had a half-brother named Kim Jong-nam. Unlike his sibling, Kim spent most of his days relaxing in the Asian gambling hub of Macau, China. He tried to stay out of trouble and those close to him said that Kim rarely had bodyguards around him. One of his friends last remembered him eating cake at a hotel coffee shop, seemingly without a care in the world. I say Kim Jong-un had a half brother because back in 2017, Kim Jong-nam was accosted and rubbed down with the VX nerve agent at a Malaysian airport, killing him within 20 minutes. It would have been an intense, painful death from such a malicious personal act, but this wasn't done by someone who wanted to get back at Kim Jong-un for his brutal dictatorship. Instead, South Korea has claimed that it was carried out by the North Korean government itself, and that this may have been the case of sibling rivalry taken to the extreme. When Kim Jong-nam was murdered, people wanted to learn more about him and the city he lived in. The South China Morning Post or SCMP explained that his assassination put a spotlight on the Chinese city of Macau, which was far more than just some luxurious city or the Vegas of the East, as some put it. With Hong Kong so close by, Macau legalized gambling very early on in the 1840s and even surpassed Vegas as the world's most successful gambling hub in 2006. But why does this matter to North Korea? Well, as a result of all those sanctions we mentioned earlier, they had to find some way to connect and do business with the outside world. One of these windows to the world opened in 1974 in the form of a trading company called Zokwang. SCMP stated that it was dubbed the Casablanca of Asia due to the shady business deals and spying. Allegations about these illicit activities piled up. By the 80s, the New York Times referred to Macau as the new center of North Korean spying, explaining how the North Koreans in the region did operate some legitimate businesses like a restaurant and a medicine shop. But their true purpose was for something far more malicious. 
1983, the North Koreans used Macau as a base to plan a bombing in Burma, which killed 21 people, including top South Korean officials. They allegedly had a plan to assassinate South Korean President Chan Doo-hwan as well, but abandon it. This 1987 article reads, three weeks ago, two North Korean visitors to Macau invited a Western journalist to their suite at the Hotel Royal in Macau. The journalist who visits South Korea regularly as part of his job said he was asked to write regular reports for them about South Korea. The journalist who asked not to be identified added that he turned down the offer. An intelligence analyst in Hong Kong added that while Hong Kong didn't normally permit North Korean visitors, it does make an exception for sailors. North Koreans seem to take advantage of this with over 800 sailors visiting every single year. Now, some of them, of course, might be actual sailors, but why North Korea's Minister of Social Security visited Hong Kong disguised as a sailor is anyone's best guess, I suppose. The vice president of Zhou Kuang has denied this, claiming that the analyst and those like him were only saying this to, quote, prevent us from doing business in the area. However, mere months after the article was released, the North Koreans seemed to solidify these claims as once again, their plots in Macau led to devastation and tragedy. A South Korean inquiry into a 1987 bombing of an airplane has found North Korea is to blame. The disaster killed 115 people. Kim Hyun Kwe later dubbed the Virgin Terrorist blew up a Korean Airlines jet in 1987, killing 115 people. She too claimed that she'd used Zhou Kuang as a base for operations. And yeah, saying you're perfectly legitimate doesn't really hold water when your name is involved with multiple acts of terrorism, just saying. Investigations such as those codenamed Royal Charm and Smoking Dragon in the early 2000s also established the North Korean ties to Macau and the money laundering that took place through several different banks. One of those named within the investigation was Banco Delta Asia, and the US used to use them, as the Wall Street Journal puts it, to punish North Korea. This was quote, killing the chicken to scare the monkey. And this particular chicken was worth about $25 million. North Korea's envoy called this action intolerable. And while negotiations initially thought this was just anger for the show of it or a typical blustery speech, this outrage was surprisingly long lasting. While the US may have frozen BDA funds, they were hesitant to do the same for the other larger banks and potentially cause conflict with China. While 25 million may sound like a lot to us, it's apparently really not, at least not in the grand scheme of things when we're talking about countries playing money games with each other. This was more about sending a message. And I believe that's why North Korea was so upset. They knew that a move like this was punishing them and it was more damaging than the actual punishment itself. And it could scare others away. Marcus Noland, an authority on the North Korean economy told the New York Times in 2007 that, not only did North Korea lose access to this particular financial institution, other financial institutions began severing their ties with North Korea, not wanting to risk entanglement in North Korean illicit activities and possible expulsion from US financial markets. Others such as Mr. Ashers, a senior associate fellow with the Asian Studies Center of the Heritage Foundation called it the sacrificial lamb. Aside from money laundering, drug trafficking, facilitating the sale of unconventional weapons and smuggling, counterfeit cigarettes were also among the accusations released from these reports. The New York Times wrote, the contraband seized by law enforcement agencies included about 4.5 million in counterfeit American $100 bills, sometimes referred to as super notes because they are so difficult to detect. Other seized items include millions of dollars of counterfeit cigarettes, ecstasy pills, and fake Viagra. So who needs all this Viagra? Well, President Kim Jong-un, of course, but no, seriously, as shady and murky as the North Koreans' actions in Macau can be, we can actually still dig deeper than this. Where does this fake money come from? And where do these illicit earnings go? Get illicit goods into the country. 
He says the stores funnel cash into Office 39, a secretive organization Most that the U.S. profitable treasures. businesses, the best companies, are all belonged to Office number 39. And it is Kim family business. It's it difficult to know just how many secrets room 39 holds. While there's supposedly a legitimate aspect to this third floor office inside the Workers' Party building, it's become infamous and well-known for its illegal side. Interviews and information about Room 39 are rare, given the fear of speaking out against the Hermit Kingdom. Chen Cheng Lu, who uses the first name Wilson, was one of those caught with affiliations to the mysterious office. Wilson had entered Las Vegas with supernote forgeries so high that he'd managed to pass enormous quantities through the electronic detection devices of Vegas slot machines. Naturally, Wilson was eventually convicted of conspiracy and fraud for bringing millions of these supernotes into general circulation, and he was devastated knowing that he wouldn't be able to see his family while in jail. Yet, when reporter David Rose asked Wilson why he wouldn't just cooperate with prosecutors and get a lighter sentence for his inside knowledge, Wilson said that he simply couldn't betray them. Room 39 had a grip on Wilson one way or another, and Rose compared it to a mafia that enforces a code of silence through violence and fear. In fact, Room 39 has gone by many names. While it's called a revolutionary fund in North Korea, much of the world just knows it as a slush fund for the ruling family to afford their lavish lifestyles. It's how Kim Jong-un can afford his private island and the literal millions he spends on lingerie for his personal harem of thousands of women, because that's apparently a thing too. He also has an $8 million yacht, a private jet, a private luxury cinema, a private island, 17 palaces, you know, the normal findings of what you'd expect from a dictator. This is despite the fact that about 60% of North Koreans live in absolute poverty with one of the lowest income levels in the world. It's so bad, in fact, that in 1991, while they were going through that very infamous famine, the North Korean government literally told their citizens to just learn to eat less, launching a let's eat two meals a day campaign, Not that the higher-ups actually followed the suggestion, of course. And I mean, we know that Kim Jong-un and the higher-ups of North Korea are corrupt, but I personally hadn't heard about this specific campaign before. Only eat two meals a day? Like, yeah, I skip breakfast from time to time, but that's by choice. Telling people, oh, you're hungry and in poverty? Just eat less. Like, it really shows how little the regime cares about its people. But Kim Jong-un doesn't need to earn his money. He just prints it. These super notes that have defied Vegas slot machines are actually extremely advanced. They use paper with long parallel fibers and optically variable ink, making them nearly indistinguishable from the real thing. An authority on banknote printing, Klaus Bender, even suggested that they were so advanced that North Korea couldn't have created them all, instead stating that the CIA in America must have done so. Though Vanity Fair reports that there has been no evidence to back up this claim. These bills have micro-printed features that are one forty-two thousandth of an inch high. That is very, very tiny. In fact, they're so realistic that the printers likely included very tiny flaws on purpose, just so they could actually tell the difference according to a Secret Service counterfeit specialist. In 2004, the bills managed to cause panic in Taiwan with super notes arriving on the island. Soon, banks became overwhelmed with people wanting to return $100 bills. Some of the bills were genuine, but no one wanted to take a chance as they couldn't tell the difference. All in all, Room 39 brings in somewhere between 500 million to $2 billion per year for North Korea, according to one 2018 ABC article. One Room 39 defector stated, quote, I'd estimate it, Room 39, accounted for 30 to 40% of the total economy all going to the top leadership while people lived in poverty. And again, while this sounds like a lot of money, a billion dollars isn't all that much. 
So to think that it accounts for a third of the higher-ups economy, I just think it shows how hard it is for the North Korean government to really earn money, especially in a legitimate sense. They seemingly have no choice but to resort to these shady tactics to maintain the appearance of wealth, even if that is, of course, all it is. While it would be nice to believe that Room 39 started off as a genuine office that simply went awry and lost its way during the lifespan of the corrupt government, that is what Room 39 was actually ultimately designed to do. It was set up in the 1970s by Kim Il-sung, the founding father of North Korea, to be the royal slush fund as we all know it to be. Not only do they run this network of currency counterfeiting, but they're believed to have trained chemists as well who create amphetamines and opioids to sell to various parts of Asia. Room 39 actually got its start from selling counterfeit cigarettes and shipping them from China to California, earning about $720 million a year. Unfortunately, Room 39 has come a long way since their early cigarette days. And in present time, they've started to try new methods of getting money, like hacking. In 2016, only a spelling error prevented them from hacking about $1.2 billion from a New York Federal Reserve. According to ABC News, the Bangladesh Central Bank was suspicious when a withdrawal request misspelled the foundation as foundation. The hackers still got about 100 million before they were stopped. That same year, it was only sheer luck that allowed a young British hacker to stop them from completely taking down Britain's National Health Service in a ransomware attack. South Korea hasn't been so lucky as they've had war plans stolen, proven that North Korea can be a serious threat online as they're hard to detect and it's a perfect battlefield for them. Recently, North Koreans have also been linked to cryptocurrency hacks with a $615 million hack gaining attention this past April. And it's one of the biggest ever to hit the crypto world. The group behind this breach is known as Lazarus, most known for allegedly hacking into Sony Pictures in 2014. But again, relatively little is known about Room 39, these hackers and the methods they use, which seems to be a common theme for the North Korean hermit kingdom. Some sources state that Room 39 operates a restaurant chain called Pyongyang, which is what we know of comes from defectors and investigators. It's no surprise to me that in order to keep the regime afloat, Kim Jong-un has had to resort to illicit activities in the shadows. There's so much more that can be said of North Korea, but ultimately I do hope that you enjoyed taking a look at this side of things and seeing how they fund their various and ultimately confusing, ridiculous, and terrifying operations. But again, all of these are just thoughts, opinions, articles compiled together to hopefully create a nice concise story for you to follow along with today on how North Korea funds its lifestyle. I hope you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I really appreciate you turning into today's episode. I know there's a million and a half things you could be doing in the world, but you chose to be here at least for a couple minutes to listen in. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye.